Before we start, some house cleaning. In this episode, I interview Seth Tinsley, one of Chris Kennedy's convicted murderers. Before contacting Tinsley, I reached out to the other person who was at the scene of the crime. He declined, however, to be interviewed for this podcast and did not want to be named, though it is public information. Out of respect for his wishes, I've censored his name. You'll hear that censor throughout this episode. My name is Charlie Moss, and I've been a freelance journalist and writer for more than 10 years. I've written for The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Atlantic, Slate, and other publications. I also used to work for an online camping magazine called The Dirt. It was there that I wrote about a haunted campground just outside of Stanton, Virginia. The more I dug into the story, the more I realized that this wasn't just a simple Halloween ghost tale. It was something much deeper, much more profound than I ever imagined and I've spent the last three years finding out as much as I can about what happened at Braley Pond. This is episode two, the murder of Christopher Kennedy. Your cousin Kenny's in the hospital. That's what Seth Tinsley told Christopher Kennedy to convince him to get into the back seat of Buick. It was nighttime. As they drove down the road, Seth, who was in the front passenger seat with driving, told Christopher that before they went to see Kenny at the hospital, they had to make a stop first. We tell Chris, before we get to the hospital, we got to make a stop off at the lake. We have to go pick some money up first. So Chris was like, all right. So we go out to this lake. And when we get out there, we tell Chris, look, we might have to fuck this dude up. So if you've got anything on you that could possibly identify you, you might want to take it off. Take your wash off. Take your wallet out your pocket. You got an ID. Take that out. You know what I'm saying? So he emptied all his pockets and stuff like that into the back seat. So we get out to the lake, and when we get out to the lake, he starts crying, and he says, I don't want to die. That's Seth Tinsley. He's currently serving 25 years for Chris Kennedy's murder at Wallens Ridge State Prison in Big Stone Gap, Virginia, which is about four and a half hours from Stanton. We don't know how he knew. Honestly, don't. To this day, I still don't know how he knew. And he starts screaming, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. So I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? You're not going to die. What, what the hell are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. He was like, I know I fucked up. I understand I fucked up. But please, I just don't want to die. Don't kill me. So at that time, tells him that you're not going to die. To show him good faith, tells Christopher to give him some DAP. DAP is an acronym for Dignity and Pride. It is a symbol of solidarity. When you give someone some DAP, you're more or less slapping them five and then shaking their hand. There are, of course, variations, but the gesture is meant to tell the receiver, we're in this together. Christopher accepts the offer and swings his hand around to me. And when he does, he spins him around and he slits his throat and throws him in the lake. Not long after I wrote the Braley Pond article for The Dirt, one of the company's employees forwarded me an email from a guy named Kevin Robertson. In the message, he wrote, I thought to myself there for a minute, everyone just forgot about it and moved on. But I still keep his memory upon me. I miss him more than anything. To be honest, this email from Kevin is what inspired me to do this podcast. 
He says in his email that he believes in the spirit world, and after reading my article, wanted to meet Shay, talk to her about what happened to her at Braley Pond, maybe even to take a trip back there with Shay and me. Over the course of making this podcast, I've been in touch with Kevin on and off, typically through texting and Facebook Messenger, and the occasional phone call. Then I decided to drive to Stanton to meet Kevin in person, and he invited me to visit Christopher's grave with him. We're driving to the small town of Verona, which is where Christopher is buried, about five miles outside of Stanton. My mom got cancer anyway, uh, and we were at a doctor's office, and uh, man, God, I ain't going anywhere with her, because I'll tell you what, I mean, well, I sat there probably 45 minutes, man, I, I looked on the table, and there was this magazine, and I just... And then opened it and flipped it open, and it said the most haunted places in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I said, Oh my god, I said, Wait a minute, I said, Am I reading this right? So I just stuck it in my pocket. I walked down with some paper. I said, Can I have this? She said, Go ahead, there's plenty more. I said, All right. <laughs> I went home and I read it, and I was like, You've got to be kidding me. So, wait, it was printed? It was printed on, okay. on, on a I, local magazine. I did not know that. I thought it was just online. Yeah, yeah. I printed and I, and I was like, I need to, I said, mom, I said, look at this. She said, oh my God. I said, I'm thinking about emailing the author and and I did and, and stuff like that. And she was like, a couple days later, she was like, you know, uh, I said, man, I said, this is crazy. I said, this is not just something that don't happen like that. I asked Kevin how he and Christopher met. I met Scott when we was in fifth grade and, uh, I'll tell you what, he was, uh, take a left here. He was a stubborn boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, he used to come to school, I mean, just, man, he, he had a, you know what I'm saying, he had plans. He, he had a lot, a lot of good plans ahead of him, and he used to talk so much highly about me and, you know, and everything else. So I introduced him to a couple girls. They started dating one, then after another, then after another. I'm like, Scott, come on, man. He was like, hey, bone. Or broke neck, that's what he's calling me. <laughs> People call me neck bone, but he called me broke neck. Kevin refers to Christopher by his middle name, Scott, which is what his friends called him sometimes, Scott or Scotty. They played football together. They wrestled. They were inseparable all through middle and high school. I asked Kevin what he's thinking. Brings back a lot of memories, a lot of fond and fun, crazy memories, because I'll tell you what, in high school, that's the best years of your life. You know, I mean, you party, you, you know, you just... You make mistakes in life, you know. <laughs> you, you know, and then it's just, you know, it's it's sad to grow, you know, keep growing up without him, you know, because we were so close. So, but he's a good boy. As Kevin and I talk about Christopher, it reminds me of my close childhood friend Stephen Vatava. Stephen, along with my twin sister Mary and our friends Michael and Jason Schumann, who were also twins, were inseparable when we were kids. We had all met in preschool and grew up together in my hometown of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Stephen came to all of our birthday parties, and we attended all of his. We played at each other's houses, riding big wheels, playing with toys. I remember he was a big Snoopy fan. Then, one rainy Wednesday night in December 1985, Stephen's mom was driving home from an exercise class at our local Jewish community center. Stephen was in the back seat. The road was slick and their car skidded to the right and was broadsided. Mrs. Vitava told me years later that she blacked out for a few minutes, but when she woke up, the ambulance was there and an EMT was pulling her out of the wreckage. It was later in the emergency room at the hospital that she was told that her son, Stephen, was dead. He was 10 years old. I found out at school the next day by a classmate. My sister Mary and I weren't allowed to attend his funeral. 
and though it's been more than 35 years since he died, I never felt like I got the closure I needed. When I got that email from Kevin, the murder of Christopher Kennedy became more than just a ghost story for a Halloween-themed issue of a magazine. It became something much more real, much more personal. Kevin's been through a lot. Christopher wasn't the only untimely death he's had to deal with in his life. He tells me about how his father died and the effect it had on him. Since my dad committed suicide, about six years ago, I'll get off her and take a left at the end of My dad, yeah, about six years ago, and um, right down the road from actually the house, he drove down the from road. where you live now? Yeah, he drove down the road and shot himself in his head. Oh, my gosh. And um, I always thought, you know, and I, you know, and... When my dad left the house, he kissed mom on the forehead and said that he would go clean out his truck. And I'll tell you what, some nights, yeah, left. But I swear, actually, this happened about a month ago. I swear to gosh, we got an old woodshed that my dad used to split some pine and walnuts and all kind of stuff. I walked past there one night about, about a month ago, and I swear I saw my dad standing there with his hand like that against the I said, oh, well, I said, I'm seeing something or seeing something. I said, what is going on? I said, you know, my brother was like, hey, it could happen. Kevin tells me about the last time he saw Christopher alive. It was at a gas station. Chris had been living with Kevin and his family for a couple of months after their senior year in high school. But then Chris met a girl. But it was like he was a different person. I knew of her, but I didn't know her know her. I knew that she was bad, not good news, and I tried to explain that to him. And he was like, hey, man, I said... Chris, I said, you're just all in it for fucking, I hate to say it, you know, a piece of ass. So he left, and a couple weeks later, um, I seen him in Stanton at a gas station at Etna. And I go, I said, what are you doing, man? He said, I said, oh, my God. I said, would you look at that? I said, you look at yourself lately? He said, um, bro. I said, I'm sorry. I said, come again? He said, and then two more guys got out of the car, and I was like, I knew right then and there. I knew right then and there, and I tried to explain to him. I was like, Chris, I said, come on with me, dude. He said, nah, bro. I said, stop calling me, bro. Yes, I'm your brother. Yes, let's go. He was like, nah, man, I'm living right behind here in uh, Maybush Village Apartments. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, hit me up, man. He was like, all right, bro. Two weeks later, we heard the guys that got out of the car was the one that killed him. I've seen it. In case you had trouble understanding what Kevin said, he told me that the two guys that were with Christopher at the gas station were the guys who murdered him, Seth Tinsley and I have to backtrack a little here because there's more that happened at Braley Pond on the night of Christopher's murder. We let him float out to about the middle of the lake, and then we go to leave. We're walking up the steps to leave. We thought he was dead the whole time. It turns out, though, that did not kill Christopher. He didn't even slit his throat. He was holding the knife backwards and just left a few abrasions on Christopher's neck. We're up at the top of the steps, and we're ready to leave. We hear the splash, and we turn around looking, and he's swimming back in the shore. So we go back down there. When we get back down there, he's standing off the water. He's shivering and shaking. He's like, what was that? And all this stuff. So was being quiet. So I spoke up. I volunteered. I was like, look, that was just a test see where your heart was at, da, da 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 Like I said, dude wasn't, he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. So, I mean, you could pretty much tell him whatever and he'd believe it. So he was like, all right. And uh, we were like, come on, 
you look cold, it's time to go home, let's go get in the car. Seth and start walking Christopher back to the car, and that's when attacks him again. And turns around and stabs him in his shoulder, and Chris turns around and starts running back in the water and drags in the water with him, stabbing him the entire time. So finally gets him up out of the water and slaps him down on the bank and just stabbing the fuck out of him. Now, even though I didn't take part in the actual stabbing, I'm not innocent in this at all. The whole time I'm right beside him screaming, stabbing harder, asking for him to give me the knife so I can do it. Fucking, you know, I, I didn't actually take part in it, but I might as well be just as guilty as someone who did do it. You know, so stabs him uh, the last time, and his hand slips on the knife, and he almost cuts his pinky off. So says, "There's blood on his shirt. Take his shirt off. That's evidence." Da 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 da. So I rip dude's shirt off. At this time, dude is not struggling anymore, but he's still alive. He's been stabbing his lungs and his heart and everything, but he's still alive, and he's just pleading with. Just let me lay here and die. Please, just leave me alone. Just let me lay here and die. I'm already dead. You already killed me. Just, just, just let me be. And stabs him one more time in the heart and just holds the knife there until dude's dead. At this point, is bleeding profusely and is in danger of passing out himself. Seth helps throw Chris's lifeless and bloodied body back into the pond. I was five foot six, maybe 120 pounds at the time not equipped to throw a body around so it kind of like went like eight or nine inches into the water and that was about it and we left i need to say here that according to stanton newspaper reports claimed at the time it was the other way around that seth tinsley was the one who did the stabbing when we were driving back he was driving the car and on the way back i was wrapping his hand back up we were going down Greenville Avenue, and he passed out behind the wheel and drove the car up onto the median and hit one of the road signs and knocked it off and put a big-ass, like, indention in the front of the car, the bumper, the hood, all that stuff. So we get back to the house. When we get back to the house, Candy's there, and Candy's like, oh, my God, da-da-da-da-da. Candy is Candace Knott. She was a so-called gang queen of the Gangster Disciples, one of the prominent gangs in Stanton in the late 1990s and early 2000s. She was the one who directly ordered Seth and Noah to murder Chris. In all of my research, the local news claims Seth, Kenny, Candace, and Christopher were all part of the Crips set to 11. But Seth told me that the local news got it wrong. They were all part of the Gangster Disciples. She takes him upstairs and takes him to the shower to clean his hand up and whatnot. And, uh... I basically take all the clothes that we wore out there, I bag it up, I take the knife, I put it in the bag, I've got everything, I got everything that has to do anything with the crime in the bag. So, oh, I wringed his shirt out when we were driving back from the, uh, from the lake, the shirt that thought had blood on it. I had wrung it out while we were driving down the road. So the next morning when we got up, there was blood all over the side of his car. Like the entire side of his car was splattered with blood. So, I was covered in blood. I, I, from from hands to elbows, I was drenched in blood because 
I was right beside it the entire time. And I, when I took dude's shirt off, I got blood all over me. He was squirting blood all over the place. When I picked the body up, he was still bleeding even though he was dead. It was just, it was a mess. So I took all the clothes, but was with me. I took all the clothes out into the woods. I poured gasoline on them and burnt them. I took the knife and I threw it in a body of water almost directly beside the spot where I burnt the clothes. Seth then told Candace that everything that needed to cover up the murder was done. But, uh, was looking, like, real despondent. Like, like he really regretted his situation and his actions in this, in this situation. He was looking, he was looking real, real, real remorseful and stuff. And he just looked like his world had ended. And I kept asking him if he was all right. And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. And, uh. Candy, Candy had really attached herself to him. Like, when we got back to the apartment, they pretty much spent all day in the bedroom. Uh, I was downstairs getting high and uh, having friends over and stuff like that. Kevin and I are almost to the cemetery where Chris is buried. Before we reach the turn into the small parking lot, Kevin tells me that a few years after Chris's murder, he returned to Braley Pond. Yeah, Chris's death really hit me hard. Like, I mean, fanatical. You know, I mean, we're, we were on the same bus. I mean, I mean, grew up, grew, I mean, as brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went up there one night, and um, and uh, I got out, walked to the top, and then just you know, just I don't know, it was about nine thirty. And my uh, my the mother of my child called me and says, "Oh, I need you. I need you to come here. You need to have a chat with your daughter." Kevin has an 11-year-old daughter and a son who's five from two different women. While he sees his son every other weekend, Kevin has full custody of his daughter, Kaylee. I was like, I said, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm coming. I said, yeah, I just need time myself right now. And she's like, well, make time for her. I was like, okay, I'm coming. So I get in the vehicle, brand new vehicle, <laughs> and I start it. It will not start. It will not start. I was like, I was no clicker, no nothing. I'm like, what on earth? I said, it's a rental. <laughs> what is going on? And then I sat there and I sat there and I swear, man, it's just, I got cold. I got really, really cold. Like this chill just come over me. And it was in the middle of summer. Chill come over me like I've been sitting in a frozen car for about a day. Just like, and I just went like this in my head. And next thing I know, I, and it starts. What I said, what on earth? It's like, I don't know, it's like, I don't know if maybe Scott maybe tried to grab my hand when he was in the truck with me or something and just, it would not start, it would not, this way. And I said, I don't know. I just, Kevin points out the road where he got his first traffic ticket. Christopher was with him. You just talked me into the dumbest shit, dude. I'm telling you what. Guess what? He ain't gonna get blamed for it. I am. <laughs> I got my ass smacked. I got, I mean, fucking hammered. I got my first ticket because of him. <laughs> Actually, right down here, <laughs> we went, was going to a truck stop. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning. I'm, se- I'm 17 years old. <laughs> Notice how Kevin slips into the present tense as he's talking, as if Christopher is still alive. There was no getting out of it. I had to get my dad out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, come down here to get us home, oh my God. 
I got my first ticket. My first ticket. And this right here. Unauthorized equipment. <laughs> <laughs> no seat belts. <laughs> I said, learners, I live right up the road. Please let me go. Nope. I said, my dad is asleep. Don't, please don't call him. <laughs> yeah, he's on the phone with him before I even told him. <laughs> he said, that's it. That's it. Dad got there. And so I said, I'm ducking down and see, dude. Pretend I ain't here. <laughs> you stupid ass. <laughs> Dad said, don't even say a word. None of you. Both of you. When I get to the house, both of you go to bed. And Scott said, okay. I said, Scott, you think he's playing? <laughs> There's silence for a minute or so. Then Kevin speaks up. I just want to know, it, on your theory, like, is he still with us? Is he still here? No. How does that work? We pull into the parking lot of a small brick church and drive to the cemetery lot behind it. The graveyard has maybe 20 graves in it. It's not big. I know cemeteries can sometimes feel lonely, but this one in particular feels cold, isolated, forgotten. Why he was buried here, I will never know. This is Oh, this is, did he not go to church? No, he didn't go here. Huh. You know, and I, I've come up here before and sat, and I was like, I actually talked talk to him. I was like, man, if you're still here, I said, give me a sign. But it ain't here I'm worried about. It's Barely's Pond where I'm worried about, where he was actually killed. Kevin and I walk over to Chris's grave. He's buried right next to his mother. There's nothing special about the headstone. It's gray, made for marble, it looks like. Maybe granite. It doesn't stand out from the other graves there. There's an image of praying hands over a Bible and maybe an olive branch, I think. It's hard to tell. Underneath it, it says Christopher Scott Samuel Kennedy, September 30th, 1983, and then the date of his death, May 21st, 2003. And then in text that's hard to see, it says, Beloved Son. Attached to the side of Chris's tombstone is a permanent base, an open invitation for visitors to leave flowers. A small bouquet of plastic purple and yellow flowers are in it. They look like they were placed there fairly recently, within the past few months or so. There's something comforting in watching Kevin interact with Chris's grave, the way he talks to it as if Chris is still alive. Okay, so Scott was his middle name, Christopher Scott. Yep. That's what people call him, Scott. Whenever someone get mad at him, he'd probably be called Chris or Chris Steve. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, it was hard. It's gotten, you know, a little easy, but Remember the first time we got in trouble for actually get taking a can of dip out of the refrigerator? I tell you what, <laughs> me and him both puked our guts down right in the middle of the yard. And Dad said, "See how y'all feel now?" Scott said, "I don't feel good." How old were you? We were 13. Okay. Yeah. Did you did you do the whole thing? Oh yeah, we yeah, put it. We tried it, you know, put it in our mouth and like that, and then he swallowed his and me. I just spit mine out, and he got sicker than I ever imagined. <laughs> So, yeah. Mm. Mm. I tell you what, we was never bored. I tell you what, when we was, when we was together. Would it, would it be weird if I took a picture of you next yeah. to this? Yeah. Are you okay with that? Yeah. All right. I typically think it's weird to take photos at a graveyard. I feel like it's an invasion of privacy to those who were there, even to the people buried there. But I felt compelled to take one of Kevin next to Chris's grave. This was his best friend, after all. And Kevin was still very much hurting over Chris's murder. He was happy to oblige. 
Kevin begins to talk to Chris again. Yep. There you are. We never bored, was we? No, I, I've never seen uh, a ghost before in my life. But I'd like to, you know, just picture him more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're having a hard time understanding him, it's because he's choking up a little bit. After, after this happened, uh, everybody just like his friends and my friends, you know, I mean, they're some of the same people, but no one, no one's brought this up uh, since it happened. I mean, I mean, no one, I mean, I talk about him here and there and everything and everybody was like, you living in the past? I was like, no, I'm just trying to keep the memories I got. You know, if Scott is still here with us, I like to think he is. You know, I've never seen a ghost like I'm saying. I'm really, I haven't. I have to see it to believe it. Right. I know he's gone. I know he's gone. Oh, he's right under the side, you know, and bones, nothing but bones. But if he's still here, which I think, sometimes I think he is. Turns out Kevin might be more right than he knows. What Happened at Braley Pond is produced by me, Charlie Moss. The exceptional Bill Colrus is our story editor. Our music and sound design are by the legendary Mike Triplecock. Our website, which can be found at www.braleypondpodcast.com, was created by the outstanding Ashton Lance. Our podcast logo was designed by the phenomenal Shelton Brown. Additional artwork is by the incredibly patient Keith Finch. Special thanks to Monty Brock for his scientific insight and my wife, Vanessa, who was overwhelmingly supportive during this three-year process.